0: I think, like, the more you can diminish your ego, the better the result's going to be. Like, I think the right. ego monster just, like, fucking devours us all for 10 seconds of, of, like, really fleeting gratification that something like, this was all me! You know, um, as opposed to, to yeah, just just being open to, whether it's collaboration or input or sharing or, or you know, and also being open to, like, if, if you can help someone else, too, just like do it, like their success, like if, if you're good. I think this is a David Cross quote or John Ennis also for Mr. Show, but like something of like, there's room for everyone
1: who's good. Welcome to Inside the Audition, the podcast where we go behind the scenes for a deep dive look into the world of auditions. I'm Joe Lars Larson, creator of Actors Audition Club, an international community helping actors book your dream roles in TV, film, and theater.
2: And I'm Brandon Knox, actor, producer, and co-host. Each episode, we chat with actors and industry professionals to share their audition experiences, insights, and advice.
1: We provide actors with actionable tips, strategies, and resources to help you elevate your auditions.
2: We demystify the often intimidating and misunderstood world of auditions to help you succeed.
1: So whether you're just starting out on your acting journey or you're a seasoned pro, Join our Actors Audition Club members as we go Inside the
0: Audition.
1: Hey! Here we are, Inside the Audition, episode 159. I'm Joey Freddie Larson. Uh, <laughs> right, uh, I did this way, but it's this way. Right here, we got uh, Brandon J. Knox. Brandon, how are you? Me? Hello! I'm good, I'm good. Good to see you. It's good to see you. We have what have a you been up to? Uh, what have I been up to? Um, yeah. Hmm, I don't know. What's going auditions, on? Auditions. Oh. shows, glasses, all wow. kinds of fun stuff. Uh, hey. Never mind me, though. We got a fantastic guest. But before we get to the guest, I want to talk about you because you were fresh off a callback from a yes. self tape that we did together on Monday. Mm-hmm. And you just had the, the callback earlier today in person. Yeah. How'd that go? Uh, It was great.
2: Uh, I had the directors laughing. I did uh, a a nice vocal warm-up this morning uh, using one of my many straws that I now steal from Tim Hortons. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, uh, Doing some floor work and uh, and getting into the zone uh, and uh, creating that relaxation, which will lead to some concentration, which frees my imagination. Uh, and I, you know what? I actually ran into a friend of yours and a friend of the studios, Lars. Who's that? Uh, I ran into Eric Andrews. Ooh,
1: I love Eric Andrews. It He's was one so of much fun. We guys we're ever. Yeah, we we're
2: just sitting there joking around for like ten minutes before he goes in to do his audition, <laughs> and it nice. it was great. It was so much fun to see Eric, and uh, it was uh, it was interesting doing an in person audition. Uh, the director was over zoom, uh, which I found interesting. Um, but you know what? It was a fun experience. Uh, I got them laughing in the room and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, so you do your prep and you let it go.
1: There you go. Which, uh, can you say what spot it was for? Uh, down low.
2: I'm going to, I'm going to keep that. I'm going to keep that close to the vest right now for
1: the grand reveal when you book it. Yeah. 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 Uh, but congrats. Yeah, callback is great. That's the zone that you want to be in on a regular basis. Yep. And the nice thing as a union member, you'll get your $50 callback check coming yes. your way. So I'm very excited about that. Yes. Yeah. Well, congrats. Keep us posted uh, on episode 160. We can hear about the booking. We'll see. There you go. Uh, all right. It's time to bring on our guests. Uh, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a treat for you. Our guest today has had a uh, about a decade, at least a decade-long prolific career as a comedy writer. Uh, he's written for the um, Canadian famous show, This Hour Has 22 Minutes, as a sketch writer. Also, The Beaverton, which is another Canadian sketch show. And he's written for Just for Laughs, including being a joke writer for some incredible comedians. You might have heard their names, uh, such as Norm MacDonald, Hasan Minhaj, um, Michael Che. Anthony Jeselnik, Jim Gaffigan, Russell Peters, Seth Rogen, Jeff Goldblum, Howie Mandel, Wanda Sykes, and Sir Patrick Stewart himself. Uh, So he's had an incredible writing career. Uh, Recently has also made the transition to do more stuff on camera as an actor. And he's one of our newest members here at Actors Audition Club. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, No pressure, Patrick. Uh, Please (laughs) make some noise. Welcome him to the studio. Patrick, do so. There he is. Hello. Oh my gosh! Thank hi. Right. You. Thank you so much. Everybody. Thank you. Yes. Yes. All You're, for you. Can you hear All those for applause? You. One more time, I- for Patrick. Everybody, one more time.
0: Oh, go Good. This is a hot crowd. Yeah. Wow. It's yeah.
1: a lot of people oh. we pack in here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Patrick, nice to see you. Nice to see you guys.
0: You had me at fifty-dollar audition checks
1: yeah right that's there a nice
0: go. it's a nice mint in your mailbox you know
2: yeah it's it is a it's a really weird metaphor it's not, uh, pile those together, together maybe uh maybe two callbacks in two weeks and you get uh you get a hundred dollars
1: oh my go. goodness free money.
2: You know, free money free money free money <laughs>
1: free money uh, all you well, have to do
0: is work really hard on it
1: <laughs> yeah <You spend laughs> hours and hours of prep yeah yeah exactly Uh, Well, welcome, Patrick. Uh, It's lovely to be here. Um, It's going to be great. Let's just jump right into it. Our first segment, is a little something called One Minute Life Story. Brandon is going to throw a 60-second timer on the clock, and you're going to tell everyone the life and times of Patrick Dussault, starting from conception to now. Ladies and gentlemen... Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the one minute life story of Patrick Dussault starting now. I was conceived uh, during what I have to assume was a very tender,
0: passionate and and satisfying lovemaking for my wonderful parents who are still married to this day. Uh, I was born and raised in Montreal. Uh, I grew up my whole life there. I uh, went to, I played a lot of sports growing up, uh, a lot of hockey, a lot of baseball, a lot of tennis. I uh, was always uh, a comedy nerd. I mean, that wasn't really a term that we had back then, but but just loved devouring it from like seven or eight years old on, but never uh, occurred to me that that was the thing that I could do. And uh, went away to school, studied philosophy, graduated, found out that uh, the ancient Greece job market had dried up. So I waited a lot of tables and I attended a lot of bar And uh, at one of those places, I I just started working with a lot of people that were actors and writers and directors. And one of them had a comedy troupe. And I always loved Saturday Night Live. He asked if I want to start writing sketches, and I did, and something clicked, and I loved it. And so I've been doing that for the last 10, 15 years. And yeah, in the last five-ish years, maybe a little less, I've been acting uh which has been a fun little journey i uh i've got a lovely wife i've got three babies who are not babies anymore they're uh, enormous teenagers uh and i think do i have any spare time that i can donate to someone else's life story
1: no, you're way over time. Oh, I'm way over. Okay, that's my brain. <laughs> that's my comedic brain. Ding, 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 ding. That was Patrick Dussault's one and a half minute life story. Oh, right I took half
0: half a minute from someone else's <laughs> life story. Not... Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, you'll be penalized in the podcast uh, score system that we've got going on here. Yeah. You know what you
0: do is you lock those 30 seconds off like the end of my life. Like I'm okay checking out of this earth. Okay. I mean, it's gonna bite me in the ass. It's probably gonna be like the meaning of life within those other thirty seconds.
1: Right. Yeah. You'll say to it. your, you'll say to your kids and grandkids, just one second before I go. The secret to life is. Yeah, and then I'm gone, and 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 they'll know it's because Daddy gave
0: uh, a rambling self biography on on a podcast in Toronto.
1: Say la vie. I, That's the last I mean, right I don't there. see I don't
0: see any other recourse that I could have done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Love it. Um, can you tell us? Um, talk. Uh, you talked about uh, meeting some actors and comedians and and uh, getting into sketch. But how did you really get into writing for things like Just for Laughs, The Beaverton, This Hour Is 22 Minutes? Like, what what came first?
2: I want to uh, talk about
1: that because you're you're unique in that. I think you've spent more time as a comedy writer than as a comedy actor, and we haven't had too many oh, on the show. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the two are sort of inter- intertwined. Um, like, I always liked writing as a kid in high school. Um, I'm from Quebec, so we have what's called CJP, which is is sort of, it's an acronym. It's like kind of like a, almost like a mandatory junior college you do between 11th grade, which is when high school ends in Quebec, and then going off to university. And I got into writing then, uh, mostly, like, short stories and stuff. And, you know, I was just like any other... Uh, Hard partying, dickhead, through university. So I didn't, I didn't uh, necessarily focus on that. But I remember graduating, and like the only thing that sort of seemed appealing, I was like figuring things out. But I always loved writing, and I wrote like the kind of really shitty, indulgent short fiction that only like a twenty-two year old that hasn't done any living could write. <laughs> And I was waiting tables and, and working as a tanner And I worked at this one place in downtown Montreal. It's called Mexicali Roses. It doesn't exist anymore. But it was just like this hub of comedians and actors and musicians. And I used to just, I hit it off with this one guy named Sean. And he had a, a, a comedy troupe with a terrible name. It was called the Bionic Yahoo's, uh, Sean, I'm very sorry, because I, I, I love you and your troupe are all very funny. But it's a, a very late 90s, early 2000s kind of name. But I went home and I started writing a sketch that night and it was like, you know like in a movie when somebody does drugs for the first time and like their pupils get really small and they do like a 360 around their head and like Sunshine of Your Love is playing. Like it was a very (laughs) bad moment of like, oh fuck, like this is what I wanna do. And I was always obsessed with Saturday Night Live uh, and Mr. Show and Kids in the Hall and all of that stuff, but especially uh, Saturday Night Live. And so basically, like, I just started pouring myself. And I used to have, like, the oral history of Saturday Night Live. Um, I still have it. But I used to keep it in my bathroom. And it's the reason why, to this day, I sit down to pee. Because I would just always have an excuse to read a few passages. And I loved it. And so I just, like, threw myself into writing sketches. And it, and it so happened uh, after, I think, that same summer, uh, during Just for Laughs, that Seth Myers was in town. And this was probably, like, his second year on the show. And, and, and I guess he was doing sex there. And I saw him. I was living in the McGill ghetto at the time. And he was walking up Park Avenue in Montreal. And I saw him. And I recognized him immediately. And I just like kind of like, ran through oncoming traffic. And if you know Montreal at all, Park Avenue is a very busy street. So it's like a real frogger situation. And I, I just like hounded him for 20 minutes with questions about Saturday Night Live. And how can I write for it? Forward, how do I get on the show? And he could not have been like a nicer guy. Like he, he really walked me through all of it. And, but he kind of turned me on to improv because at the end he was saying, you know, we don't really hire straight up writers so much as we look for writer performers and told me about second city, which I was obviously aware of from SCTV, but it sort of set me on that path. And, and, and I ended up moving to Toronto taking improv classes. I had a sketch troupe and I I would do, um, a monthly sketch show, first we used to do it at the Rhino in Parkdale, and then we got a residence at the Drake Hotel when it had just opened. So I was doing that, and, and but like nothing professional, just kind of banging it out, and, and I'd do some commercials uh, to make money. I actually made the most money one year was just being an extra on Queer as Folk when it used to shoot here in Toronto, because you could make like 20 bucks an hour being an extra. And, and you just shoot long overnight scenes. So, you know, we do eight hours. I was, I must've been a bystander at like countless hate <laughs> crimes and vigils that took place on the show. But you'd go for, you know, six, eight hours, you make your money. And uh, anyways, fast forward about uh, five years, I guess, I'd been doing my thing and, um, and I was, I, I moved to Vancouver for a while to follow a, a girl who is now my wife. And then moved back to Montreal when, when we had kids originally. And I was very, very immersed in the improv community because like that 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 part had taken from Second City. And so I was in this this uh, improv company in Montreal. We did this weekly show, and we had this like wonderful community of of, of funny people, but I wasn't making money. And I I had a, a, a very good friend of mine, his name is Nick Burzau, and he's this really funny stand-up comedian. But he decided, uh, he took a job in the programming department at at Just for Laughs. He's now, like, their head of programming. He's he's the guy now. But this was, uh, I guess, 2011, and we were going to go to South by Southwest together. And we thought we could just get down to Austin and bullshit our way in. And if you know South by, you can't do that at all. And so he was going with Just for Laughs. And he said, you know, we have an extra pass, but it's only for people who work here. But we need uh, there's an opening in the copy. Uh, we need a copywriter. And I said to myself, you know, internally like, okay, well, it's not really what I want to do, but it's close to what I want to do. And maybe that's progress. And also I really want to go to this festival. So I took the job and I went down to Austin with my friend and I lucked out because that's where I met Bruce Hills, who's, the, who's the CEO of just for laughs. And he's a really fun dude. Uh, and, and he just was down. He likes to go to concerts. And so do I, and we sort of hit it off and, you know, I made my my ambitions known to him, that I want to be a, a comedy writer. Uh, but then I just kind of shut the fuck up and did the job that I was hired to do to the best of my ability, and it worked out. And they ended up um, halfway that summer, that would be 2012, Bob Saget was hosting what was called, uh, it was the 30th anniversary of Just for Laughs that year. So it was Just for Triple X. So it was just like, you know, like a, a dirty kind of gala. It was hosted by Bob Saget. And Triumph, the insult comic dog, was uh, Robert Smigel was doing a set. Nice. And I think it was just, I guess whoever was writing on it, you know, I guess some hosts just weren't feeling the material that they were being given from the writers that they had. And so they just gave me a shot. They're like, hey, you like, uh, you want to be a writer? Like, show us what you got. So I wrote like a handful of jokes for Bob and for for Triumph. And I truly don't even know what got used or not, but I guess it pleased them enough that they asked me to come back the next year. They actually, they created a job where I do TV development in the winter and then I started writing galas in the summers uh and so yeah you know it started with doing uh it was jay barry my first time was jay baruchel and steph myers and so the steph myers part i was like this is exactly 10 years after wow. i had met him you know and in my head this is like this romantic very full circle moment where he'll remember our conversation and this journey and now we're here and i'm gonna write you these great jokes and you know he'll whisk me away to new york or i don't know what and it was the complete opposite in that he was super nice but like Uh, myself, and I think it was, yeah, this guy, Kevin White, who's the showrunner now on uh, Kim's Kim's Convenience and uh, Stray's or whatever it's called now. But he and I were writing. We'd written a bunch of jokes for Seth. And Seth comes, I think, day of the show with his main writer, Alex Bays, who, you know, head writer at at Late Night and A a Closer Look and, like, a genius, right? And they took our jokes and, you know, thank you very much. And then they kind of went into Seth's dressing room and in like 45 minutes, wrote like a complete monologue that was just like light years better than anything that we'd written, you know? <laughs> and and I, at that point, I wasn't even going to mention the, the chat or anything. It was a very tale between my legs, but also a great example uh, of what we study now with Tom, right, with the four agreements of just like don't take anything personally because it's it's the job. Um, but yeah, from there, um, I had a great time with Bear Shell. Got to write, you know, uh, that show with him and, and, and he was a lovely guy. And, and, yeah, and then from there, it just set off um, a nice little 10-year run of, of writing a lot of galas with a lot of some of those great hosts that you talked about. And it's just some of the best comedy experiences of my life. I, I, it's like my comedy high school. It's where I really learned how to write for TV, producing television. Um, it, was, it was just great, you know, and you meet your heroes uh, for better and for right. worse. So yeah, that's good. Sounds, and, and, sounds amazing, and, and eventually, yeah. too, you know, I uh, – Montreal is not. I'm not funny in French, is what it comes down to. <laughs> and um, the work was all outside of Quebec, and so I, uh, through Just for Laughs, I had I'd written a TV special hosted by Mark Critch and Mark got me hired over to 22 minutes, which was great. And I did that for a season, and I had been writing articles for the Beavertons website, and then I'd heard rumblings that they were going to get a show. And so, yeah, I went and I wrote on that show for a couple of years, too, uh, with some very funny people. And, you know, it, it's the TV grind, right? You're, you're just sort of gig to gig. We do like, Winnipeg Comedy Festival, same thing. But you, um, I, as far as how it gets started, I wish I could say that there's, like, a formula. You know, I guess there's you can write a packet and, and submit. But I think it's just, like, that weird combination of you're writing the kind of stuff. That you want to be doing and i think you're just consuming it you're watching the stuff you like you're trying to figure out what you think is funny you're writing your own material you're fucking around with friends and peers and stuff and i think it's just you're chasing down every lead i think the only piece of advice i guess that i could give is is to just not be above anything uh in the sense like i remember when i was younger starting out and I said to myself, "Well, I just want to be a, a television writer, you know, and that's all I want to do." And so, and 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 I would say no to like being a production assistant or you know, like all those jobs that were sort of adjacent to what I wanted to do because I was just very television of like, no, if I want to do this, this is the only thing I should be doing. And and honestly, it was only when I opened myself to like any foot in the door will do that
1: things kind of got better. Right. I was so much talking. No, that was great. That was great. And that's great advice. Um, we, we often talk about that too, is like, yeah, can you can you be on a crew? Can you be on production? Can you work at a casting site? Like whatever it is versus sometimes people do think, oh, I only got to do this one thing and I got to suffer and starve until I get my big break. Meanwhile, yeah. you're, miss, you're missing your little break every day by saying no to these things. So I think that's great advice. Say Say yes to a lot early on. Keep working. Be a good human being. Ideally, is probably a good uh, a good yeah, being a um, solid strategy helps, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of those. Um is as I don't know if you're the type of person where you would get kind of starstruck or have that pinch me moment of like I can't fucking believe I'm in a room alone with this guy writing jokes for this. Like you you mentioned meeting some of your heroes. Anyone in particular that were more of a mind blowing moment for you? Like I can't yes. believe. Yes. Oh, doing
0: absolutely. I fucked it up with Mike Judge big time. I didn't write for <laughs> Mike. Um, I I I've, I've never written for Mike. I I I really admire him. Uh, King of the Hill is probably my favorite show of all time and And also love you know like office space and David and Buddyhead in Silicon right. Valley and idiocracy. Like I just I just find he, he is the best combination of premise and character driven comedy, which to me is like it, that that's the goal, right? So it was it was the year that I was writing for Norm McDonald, which is obviously its own thing too, right? But I think the difference was because I was working for Norm, or writing for Norm. Uh, and that was the relationship entry point. Like there was, it was an easier in, I guess. And and also he was just like the most supportive, lovely guy. He and, and his main writer, this guy, Ross, Ross Abrash, who's become a dear friend. But so working with them and they were so supportive and they were so great. And we were probably working for two, three weeks, which was also rare for Just for Laughs hosts to be that invested that early on. But anyways... You know, it's probably a couple days before Norm's going to go up and do his show. But we've been working together and hanging out now for probably three weeks. They've been so good to me. And we're at are in Montreal. And Mike Judge is there. I think he must have been getting, like, an award of just for laughs or doing a panel. But he's hanging out. And and I just said, like, holy shit, like, that's my judge. And and and, and Norm, you know, like, I'll introduce you yeah? and, and Norm, like, introduced me to Mike Judge, like, as... The guy writing jokes for him and, and you know, doing a good job. Like, it could not have been set up more as like a, I don't want to say like a made guy, but like really legitimized, right? But I was just so fucking starstruck that I was like tongue-tied and, and you know, he's like, you know, it's nice to meet you. And I was like, oh, hey, man, I, no, sorry, I, what I want to say, you know, like that kind of a thing.
1: <laughs> right, right. And then the
0: only other one I can think of, and I don't remember what show it was, but I, I had written on a show, on, on a Just for Laughs show, and John Mulaney was a comic on it, um, and and I was a fan. It's like sort of before like the internet got into like a like profoundly unhealthy relationship with him. But like in those days of SNL, where you knew who he was, right? As so he had done a killer set, and we were sitting together. Uh, they, they had these wonderful parties uh, at, at the Hyatt in Montreal after the shows, and it's like everyone that's funny in the world is there. It's like your I've most heard, romantic yeah. notions, right? Yeah. But so I'm sitting and I'm having a drink and I'm talking to a friend and John Mulaney's next to me and it occurs to me. So now I'm just thinking like, what's like a pithy organic way to, you know, initiate conversation or, or whatever. And I'm like, oh fuck, I'll just say hi. And as I turn to finally say hi, I've bumped into him. I dropped my, my drink. I have like a vodka soda and it just shatters like glass. <laughs> right at his feet. The drink's all over him kind of thing. And I'm just like, all right, what can I do? And I just, I'm like, oh And... And he just looks at me with such, like contempt and disgust and walked away, which, like, I would do if some asshole <laughs> broke a glass at my feet and then, like, made a lame, like, OPA joke. You know, um, those would be, yeah. That's yeah. Not oh, hack no, at I just all. one time, yeah. the first time I met Howie, um, we're sitting at a writer's table and we're just sort of killing time, waiting for, like, I think, approval and a joke. And my birthday is November 28th and his is November 29th. And I was like, oh hey, how are you? Like November 29th birthday, right? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, November 28th. And he's
1: like, so the fuck what? Those are different days. <laughs> so <laughs> close. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's like a Curb Your enthusiasm moment or or oh. uh something from Seinfeld. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Or like when you when you like, oh um uh Oh, I'm heading to Italy. Oh, I was just in Greece last last year and you're like, okay, that's a different country, but yeah, all right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there's some shows, like there's some shows where the writers are like you're writing a monologue or sketches or or whatever, like I'm talking about Just for Laughs. Uh, and you're like fully writing material for the host. And then once and and that's usually either a they're like not stand-ups, like they're like right. celebrities, you know, actors. Or their stand-ups and they don't want to burn their own material because they'll lose, they won't have the TV rights to it. So true, why not true. have writers write a new set? So, but then sometimes comedian is just gonna do their set and and you're writing uh intros for the other acts that are coming out. And those intros have to be, you know, TV caliber jokes because they're gonna be on TV. Um and so one year, I think like Bill Burr was was gonna host a gala and Bill's just gonna do his own set, obviously. And I got assigned with writing. Intros, right? And so I, in my head, I'm like, "Fuck, it's Bill Burr." Like, I really want to bring it and impress him, and, and you know. So I like works hard to make them good jokes, and you got to write like three options for every comic, and you know. So that's like seven comics on a galley. You're, like twenty, you got to write twenty, you know, TV worthy jokes, and and I put some work into it, and and so you know, I, I want to impress Bill Burr, and then so there's like you do like a, a sound check earlier in the day just to go through blocking for the camera, and and that's where they usually go through your script. So he's there, and I'm waiting with my intros. And Bill finally comes and he's just, just like, "Yeah, look, no disrespect. I'm not going to do any fucking jokes." And <laughs> 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 fair enough, you know. Like, and like, he, he's just like, "I don't want to make fun of these guys. Like, it's their, it's their TV set. Like, I just want to say that they're a killer and and right. introduce them." Which, in my mind, is like the sweetest, like, nice thing to do, and like, truly, like, a comic thinking of what other comics want. So, like, right. I get it.
1: tea the mind I just yeah. love
0: like it was just like the musicality of like. Yeah, no disrespect. I'm not gonna do any of your fucking jokes. Though. Is is just a nice <laughs> piece of music that I love. Great.
1: You should put that on your press kit as a as a quote, like testimonials. No, I'm not gonna do any of his <laughs> fucking jokes. Nor should he. His jokes are are perfect. Yeah, he <laughs> seems to be doing okay. Seems like he's he does, doing yeah, he doesn't act. need yeah, it. Yeah. That's for fucking um trouble. I have a question more writing questions um, for any of our listeners, viewers. Um, who want to get into that realm, what do you feel they need to put together? Like, I guess in terms of a packet and I know there might be difference is if you're a sitcom versus uh, writing jokes for just for laughs or writing like a a late night uh, type uh, monologue jokes, but what's, what's the core thing that someone would need to get together in a pitch package or to, to market themselves or to get the foot in the door. I would say the first thing, like if you're just starting
0: out, um, Probably the most useful thing is to write um, your own pilot. And it used to be writing a spec script, like pick an existing show and write an episode of that. I, I would say over the last like 10 plus years, it's been more like if you want to get like a lit agent, let's say, usually they want to see an original spec because it, it, it shows both that you've got writing chops, but then it's also maybe something that they can sell. Right. Also, um, you know, there aren't, a, you don't want to spec an existing show, also because sometimes maybe they don't want to be told how to write their own show or, um, yeah. So an original spec script, um, which is to say a speculative script, uh, yep. write your own half hour pilot, uh, is a good one. If, if you're talking about packets for shows, every, you know, usually most shows have, uh, their own packet requirements. Like I know that the Beaver Tin, I couldn't tell you because I think for the Beaver Tin it was like I had my work for the website and, and maybe 22 minutes. Like I, the show itself was—it was like a new show, so it didn't maybe have an existing format to send a packet, or at least not in the first season. But for 22 minutes, there was 22 minutes. It's you—you got to do 12 what they call copy jokes. So it's like headline, punchline, headline, punchline stuff in the news, and then they want to see two recurring sketches, like stuff that they do, to show that you can write in the voice of that, and then two original sketches. Um, and you know, I've written packets for different. Uh, US late night shows, usually ones that were like getting a pilot order, but usually they'll want to hear. Could be segment ideas. I think monologue jokes always. Um And I would say in that, if you're going to write a monologue packet, which is good, um, you want to keep your jokes evergreen, which is to say like not too topical. You right. know, like you don't want to talk about drama and finding a speaker of the house because like no one's really going to remember that in three months, you know, but if you want to like, sort of more broad topicality like you can be political you can make references to people but just stuff that will sort of maybe be as relevant and funny in october as it will in april kind of thing right
1: right like if they don't read it until later or or then you just have to rewrite a new packet six months from now if you don't have them evergreen you mean yeah
0: and also like it's worth finding out like if there's a show that you really want to write for it's worth um finding out if they have a packet or if there's requirements, um, you know, and, and I think that either requires detective work or someone younger than I probably knows more about the internet, about places you can look, but right. know what the packet is only because I got, you know, through, through serendipity, I think this was about 2010. Um, a, uh, a former producer at Saturday night live that I had met socially, um, told, you know, was encouraged me to submit. Right. And so she put me in touch and said, here's the, you know, uh, w- with with their submissions coordinator, and said, this is who to go, you know, submit your packet. Oh, not packet, just submit your sample. And there is an SNL packet, which I didn't know. And I, this was early in my writing, Chris, this is before, honestly, Just for Laughs, before any of those other shows. Uh, and I wish I'd known, because I sent Saturday Night Live uh, a 110-page screenplay, three, three, Episodes of a web series, three web series episodes, each like I think about 12 pages. Uh, no joke, like 15 sketches, like uh, probably like 100, 200 pages of material. And if I got that on that end now, knowing what I know, I would just take it like that to me, which is right like write in the shredder or just <laughs> scrap <laughs> right. paper. Uh, for, no one wants to fucking read that much. Nobody wants yeah. to read more than like two minutes.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, they're like this guy expects me to read 200 pages okay and that- yeah and if that's just like you know you're and i
0: think that's also like um the lack of
1: confidence in a
0: choice you know what i mean like you're like oh i want to put my best foot forward well, well this is good oh but then they really got like it's right just make a choice and sort of live with it you know what i mean and 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 also you know don't live or die with whether it happens because um i'm a big baseball guy a uh, baseball fan and i play a lot of baseball and the thing I love about it in terms of show business is is it really teaches you the gift of failure and rejection. Because, you know, uh, as long as you got the thick skin for the nose, then you're fine. And and that applies just as much to to writing as acting. So, you know, and, and I'm sorry, that seems tangential, but what I mean is just whatever you're gonna submit, don't don't throw the whole kitchen sink. Pick something you feel is reflective of you. Right knowing that you know it might hit it might not but also just that like you not getting whatever particular thing you're going up for is not a referendum on whether or not you're good enough to do this broadly and it's not the only shot you're gonna get you know it's it's you're gonna fight what's for you will never go past you is a is a, a saying in my right. family and i i think that's right as long as you're mm-hmm. you're taking your shots you know you'll slot in somewhere
1: that's great advice um mm-hmm. i want to get back quickly to um a pilot episode what would you say what would your advice to be like what what does a pilot episode need to include or what do you need to make sure you're demonstrating in it like what's your your top three or top five advice for um a pilot spec um read
0: i mean first of all read. read read a couple of books um they're not tv writing books but you know books like save the cat or screenplay or just like understanding narrative structure is a great one to start um you know what? I can I'll I'll find a link for you later that you can share with people. But there's um, there's this website. It's a uh, Channel One Hundred One, which is from New York. But before community, Dan Harmon used to be involved with them, and he's got these great story wheels that sort of break down the structure of of a sitcom, which is very very similar to a screenplay. Just that usually in a movie. The story ends with the characters are changed by their experiences, whereas usually in a sitcom you want to reset back to the status quo. But other than that, they're very similar. Um, I would say read, and this is not hard to do. You know, find scripts online of of shows like the pilots of shows that you really like. Um, read those uh, a pilot, and then also yeah, you know, there's two kinds of pilots. There's um, what they call premise pilots and uh, typical episode pilots. And in both cases, a pilot episode that you're writing is you're setting up the series. So you're introducing the main characters of the show and whatever their storylines are, should be emblematic of like what their core struggle or goal is as characters, right? And and, and that'll manifest itself differently throughout you know, episodes and seasons, but you want, it's, it's basically like, it's your thesis statement for the whole series is your pilot episode. It's your setup in that way. And so you've got sometimes premise pilots are how we got to this point, you know. Um, it's a weird because I'm not really a, a fan of this show, but I would say like Friends is an example of, a, of more of a uh, premise pilot where that first episode is like you see how Rachel joins the gang and you, you know what I mean? Like, and now we're all in this living situation and going forward. Whereas um, a show I love, like It's Always Sunny, for example their pilot episode, you're just jumping right into a typical adventure that the gang would have. And it's so happy in setting setting that up. You're still setting up your core characters and and sort of what they're about and, and what their essential wants are. But you're just doing it in a way that feels like you're just sort of joining them in progress.
1: Beautiful. Thank you. Welcome to uh, Patrick Dussault's writing masterclass, everyone. <laughs> uh, no, this is this is great advice, and we haven't really had someone who spent as much time in comedy writing as you on the show, so I wanted to get some of those questions out. Uh, let's talk about when you made the transition to, hey, maybe I can uh, be on camera and not just write the words. How did that happen?
0: Um, slowly and then very suddenly. Um, the the, the slow answer is that. I was always, I always loved performing uh, sketch comedy and improv, um, coming up, you know, um, and had a lot of stage time. But I was, I was, I don't know. I was just insecure about my acting. Um, I, I'd like to think like a pretty capable improviser, and and you know, I sort of know my moves in sketch comedy. But I just real acting just seemed like this separate thing. And I and I think I made a choice early on where I was like, you know, it's so hard to make it as just one thing let alone two. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to focus on writing. And at the same time, you know, acting was sort of always a little hip pocket. You know, when I was living out in Vancouver, um, you know, I would do commercials um, or, or you know, on shows, whether it was at 22 or on Beaverton, you know, maybe write my, I would do like a little guest spot in, in some bit or whatever. Um, and in my improv community in Montreal, you know, when people were making web series or, or, or short films or whatever, I'd, I'd often act in those. But I, I don't know, I just thought it was like a bit of a, like a nice bonus um, than anything else and was focusing on writing. And then during um, a bit of a slow period, I would say in um, 2018, 19, uh, just kind of a tricky time in my life and in work. And uh, I was playing baseball. Actually, this was in the winter. I was playing indoor, like dome softball and with a bunch of actors and and um one of them was good friends with uh with a casting with steve mann the, the casting director and so steve and i just kind of hit it off at a at a house party and and we started talking and my my younger sister uh is a producer in commercial she lives in stockholm now but she still lives in toronto and so steve recognized i guess the last name and we started we started talking and and, and trading stories and when he'd heard that I had a background um, in improv and sketch, he was just like, you know, you had an interesting look, you know, why don't you just come in? If things are slow, come in, you know, fuck around see what happens. And I got really lucky. So I came in and I like, I booked two commercials, like the first two auditions I did and I booked both of them. And one was uh, a national spot for Frigidaire and the other one, and this is amazing, (laughs) was that it was a Quebec spot for Cadillac. And so the Frigidaire spot. Uh, it was in English. Uh, we shot it. It was a lovely experience, you know. And then Cadillac, I did, and it was I auditioned in English and in French. And when I am fluently bilingual, but I'm English is my mother tongue, you know. In, in Quebec, I'm you call this, I'm an Anglophone, a bilingual Anglophone. But when I speak French in Toronto, everybody here, where they were like, "Oh my God! Like, is that your native tongue? Like, it's perfect," you know. Right. And so I, I shot this commercial in French. And, of course, what ended up happening is, you know, uh, they sent the footage back to Quebec, and for sure, the first French Canadian that saw it, they're like, oh, yeah, look, the Anglo can speak French. But, like, if you are a <laughs> francophone, no matter how unaccented my French may seem to to non-francophone speakers, like a francophone knows right away, right? right. So, they redubbed my voice. but And at the time, I weighed about 50 pounds more. So, um, I was a big guy, and...
2: I've watched it become sad it was
0: just like a little voice like this it me over which was amazing and it played a lot during uh commercials on uh, during the Canadians games so like the chances of my friends and family seeing it right a hundred percent and so that that went well and and then uh Steve uh, kind of encouraged me to, to to sign with his sister Marla who's who's my agent and uh Yeah, you know, it it just initially started as just this nice side hustle that was kind of filling in the gaps um, in between sort of, you know, lulls in writing. And then right before my 40th birthday, this would be uh, September of 2019, or August. the origin is in August of 2019, I play competitive baseball in the summer, like hardball. And I hit this ball right to the outfield wall. And I got thrown out so comfortably at second base because I was carrying a little too much weight, and I knew that forty was around the corner, so I was like, okay, I, I you know, it's shit or get off the pot." so I um I got into really good shape and I lost like fifty pounds and all of a sudden i I started booking like a lot of ads as a result. Um, and then that was going well. and then what really changed things for me was in February of 2020, just before the pandemic like really mm. hit, I got cast as uh, the Sportsnet Now guy, like in those Sportsnet Now commercials. And it was just this really lovely fit of like the, the character and the comedy that they were looking for was sort of in the wheelhouse of, of like what I love of just like sort of, you know, uh, like I love a confident idiot or a brash high status <laughs> buffoon. Right. And, and it sort of fit that and it was within the world of sports and th- the creative team in-house at SportsZone was just like these lovely guys and we just kind of really meshed well and so we shot, I think we shot like 40 spots in a week and then we wrapped and then all of a sudden COVID hit and we all went into lockdown and the idea was that those spots were going to premiere on opening day with the Jays and just become their big marketing push. So when sports got slowed, you know, we all went into lockdown. And I didn't really think much about it. And then I guess in July of, of 2020, the, um, the baseball season started, they started getting pro sports going. And all of a sudden these sports net commercials were on TV and not just on Sportsnet, but I guess like on Rogers network everywhere, you know, they're on TV, like every five minutes, no joke. And it was like, all of a sudden I was super visible and, um, we ended up doing two more campaigns. Like it was it ended up being like a three year gig, and wow. we three, and 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 what was great was they let me improvise because they were a little dry of the scripts in the first batch and they were and they knew my background so they were just like just have fun and improvise and they let me do that a bit just to put jokes in, and then for the second two campaigns they were like well why don't you write them and be in them and I, I, I co wrote them with um, this really talented guy named Hilding Nana Pergasm over at Rogers. Um, and, and it was just like the funnest job and 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 then from there just like momentum kind of picked up I, I I did like a lot of commercial spots um uh like something I think I, I got I had a good run there where I think I did like 14 commercials in about two years wow. and it, it was really good but a lot of those were non-union and then I went union and was still doing some commercials but then also all of my um conflicts like I I, I had too many conflicts so I couldn't do any more ads. Uh, I booked a movie. I, I I auditioned. I booked um a lead in in like a you know a streaming kind of movie. It was called Future Olympians, which was like a wonderful experience. Uh, and then at that point, I kind of felt like I had hit a wall in terms of of I whatever I was able to do, just in terms of like using like what I knew from improv or sketch or like i I felt like I was good at performing, but not necessarily acting. And then i I started. Um, taking, I first studied with, with this great teacher named David Rotenberg, who very sadly just passed away this week. Um, and then also now, of course, with Tom Todorov, which has been unbelievable. But uh, in doing that, I started, you know, uh, the commercial sort of less so uh, and more getting into scripted stuff. And I was, just, you know, which was more challenging not only because of the work, but also because going from non union to union, you're obviously, you know, going up against, you know, certainly much different competition. Uh, and that's been a really fun process. So over the last couple of years, I've gotten to work mostly like smaller supporting stuff in, in you know, like Hallmark movies uh, and a couple of features. I, I play the Floyd Smith, the coach of the Leafs in, uh, there's a Borea Salming documentary that's coming out yeah. soon. Um, and then also like a sports announcer in this, I think it's called Flint Strong. It's going to be a it's a biopic of this uh, American boxer. So uh, anyways, all that to say, smaller roles. Um, but again, it, it's been really, you know, uh, it's been a cool process to sort of start a second career in earnest in my forties because, you know, um, I think when 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 I'm starting in my twenties as a writer, you're so green and ignorant that that like I really don't know what I don't know and 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 just deluded enough to not go looking. <laughs> for what I don't know.
2: Right. And and I
0: think that the difference from like actually working in show business for the last, you know, 10, 15 years and and transitioning into this has been like it's simultaneously, it's been cool that, you know, to to to, to be able to do this and, and to do some work. But also like at an age now where where it's like the more I try to learn, like it's it's both really fulfilling, but also I find very daunting because like I feel like every single class I take, whether it was with David Rotenberg or whether it's with Tom Todorov now, like I'm learning so much, but then I'm also learning like how much I don't know. And, and that's exhilarating because it's like fun to have new things and try. um, But it's humbling. It's humbling. I think maybe that's it more than anything is maybe not daunting. I think it's humbling because I think with writing, I paid my dues and I got to a place and I guess I am a place where I, I feel very comfortable and and like I really understand what I'm doing, and I love acting and and I, and I I I would like to think that I'm I you know have a couple of things that I know how to do or that I'm learning how to do. But it is it it really is it's humbling to start all over again, you know.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. great. Um, so you came into our world. I think um, our mutual friend and one of our longtime members, uh, Chris Sandiford. Yeah, Chris Sandiford. Yeah. Um, Another Montreal
0: guy, sort of.
1: Yeah, yeah. you know him Kingston. for a long time.
0: Montreal via Kingston.
1: Yeah. you know on Chris yeah. for a long time, from back from Montreal.
0: So, yeah, you know what? Like, if you want to use, like, comedy scene terms, like, I think he was, like, a grade below me. Uh, gotcha. Like, I think I'm probably about, like, eight years, nine years older than Chris. So, we were definitely yeah. on the scene. At the same time, I think as I was like sort of in my more like established improv years where I was sort of starting to mostly just do professionals, like do like JFL or whatever I was up to. But I was still doing improv and sketch before leaving Montreal and uh, Chris. And he had a very, very funny comedy partner, uh, Montreal community named Daniel Cannon. And they used to have a show called Ladies and Gentlemen Comedy. And I, I used to just <laughs> love... Uh, watching them perform like just like such great funny comedy brains and and chris like just super talented and so uh i moved to toronto and then chris i think moved a couple of years later we, we reconnected again that way and stuff but you know he's been crushing it um yeah the last couple of years which surprises me zero but um i know that he had, he had mentioned that he was working with you guys and, and and what a difference it had made and and again as i'm trying to Learn another sort of branch of of, of this world um, and actually, you know, the actual technique or whatever behind it. You know, Chris is as good an actor as I know in real life. And so if, if you guys are good enough for him, then, you know, I can only imagine what you could do for a jabroni like
2: me.
1: <laughs> so what were you doing for self-tape auditions uh, for those that don't know I'm, I'm sure most people listening probably do we know that uh actors audition club we we help actors shoot their auditions uh either in the studio or via zoom uh, so that you don't have to worry about the tech you don't have to worry about editing also so that you have a director and someone to bounce ideas off with you but what were you doing for your self-tapes before you started doing them with us well first
0: of all can i plug you and just say
1: please yeah it's great, guys.
0: Like, honestly, I I, my very, I think I've now done about four auditions with you guys. And even just from the first time in, I was like, oh, fuck, yeah. Like, this is, it's exactly what you're looking for. And it's so much, I find it so much more comfortable because I think when you're alone doing self-tapes, and I'll get into my, like, ridiculously amateur self-tape approach afterwards. But I think when you're doing it alone, and like anything, when, when you want something, no matter how sort of sexually indifferent you try to be, like, you're, you're trying, but, like, you don't really know if it feels right. You only have your eyes to go on, right? You can even roll back and watch it, and that's good. You know, obviously, trust your instinct and stuff. But it is nice to have, you know, sometimes you can get a little too in the forest and you can't really see the trees, so it is nice right. that way, you know? Uh, my self-taping approach or, or, or setup before you guys was, you know, true to kind of getting a late start to actually acting, uh, like super amateurish, you know. Uh, when I first thought of it as just a side hustle, you know, I would just flip up my laptop camera with whatever lighting I had and and just do it that way. Um, and then, you know, I graduated to the ring light and and my, you know, phone or, or whatever, but I was using an app and I, uh, I won't say the name of the app because I don't want to besmirch it, but it's an app that you... Um, record both parts in a script or all the parts in a scene. And then you flag your role and you speak your role and then it voice activates the other roles back to you. So you're basically your own reader, um, which, you know, is is helpful, I guess. Uh, it, it is helpful in some ways, but you know, you're not really acting off of something. You're just sort of waiting for your cue to talk. Right. Um, but again, I think that it's, my my self-tape approach has changed dramatically with as I learn more about this. Do you know what I mean? Like it was really, I think I entered my first couple of years, I really approached acting as like, well, I'm a writer who sometimes acts. And whereas now, you know, I approach it as like, I am an actor as well as a writer. And these are two parallel careers that may intertwine. But like, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it, you know, a full hog because, you know, I don't think there's anything that charming about, you know, a punk rock, Whatever kind of aesthetic. You know what I mean? Like, if it's between you and 500 other people, I don't think uh, anyone's ever going to be like, you know, there's something about that super amateurish lighting and unprofessional <laughs> angles. I think that's our guy. Right. Our guy. <laughs> Not all these other people that are like very professionally
1: doing it. Right. <laughs> and, and what's been the difference for you or, or what, what are a couple of the positive changes in coming in here? Um, things that you don't have to do that you've had to do alone or just the, the don't have eye. to edit
0: and upload my scenes, which is unbelievable. Also, like not having to think of anything other than just performing the scene. Mm. Right. Like, I'm not checking the lighting. I'm not like, oh, did I hit record? or You know what I mean? Like, all those things, you know? Or could go back to this app, which, again, I will not name because I don't want to malign them. But I cannot tell you how many great takes were fucked up because of a glitch in the software. You know what I mean? Like, you're humming, you're dialed in, but, like, either it cues the next line up too quickly while you're still talking or it doesn't cue the line, and you're just... That would suck. And then I will say... Uh, and maybe this is true of a lot of of actors who are parents or just have significant others, you know, the other nice thing of coming in is like, there's never an interruption. You know what I mean? Like there's been good tapes of, you know, that door will open and it's, you know, dad, I can't find my shoes or, you know, honey, are you doing pickup today? Like it's all those little things that, or even just the knock at the door, right? And so it's those things that, that's just day-to-day living your life and you can't get mad at people for that. But it's also hugely frustrating when like,
1: you're just trying to get a
0: take and you're alone, and you're looking. You know, you're on top of everything, and on top of all of that, you've got to deal with an interruption. As opposed to, I show up. I see your lovely dog Luna. She barks at me. We go in. We do things right together. You've got feedback that's really helpful. Like you know, Joey uh, Lars. The last time we had my audition last week, I came in, and even just something as little as coming in that that sort of cop scene of of, of coming in with a with a file that I'm looking at and and sort of beginning the line. While I'm reading and sort of looking up in it, which is just like a little touch of, of, of you know, to make it sort of more true to life or whatever. But that like having the second pair of eyes, because I'm not thinking of that.
1: Right. Yeah. Does everybody give as rambly uh,
0: answers as I do
1: on this? Oh, that stuff? was fantastic. That was great. Luna wanted to say hello. Hello, Luna.
0: Hi, Luna. Oh,
1: here she is. Yeah. Nice to have quote personal. Hello, Luna. <laughs> what we have is real. There we go, Brandon. I know that you've worked with Patrick um, quite a few times. Uh, Do you want to speak to your experience in working with Patrick and how that's been? I know Patrick's are. I I will say, Patrick, you've always got great energy, positive energy. You're always well prepped and ready to rock when you come in here. So it's Mm -hmm. it's uh, great vibes working with you. Yeah, Yeah. and
2: I would just echo that sentiment. Like it's it's always so much fun. We're always coming up with nice bits. And uh, we're always enhancing that scene, making it funnier than it really is. So uh, that's and that's what you got to do. Uh, Joy of collaboration, right?
1: Eh? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think that is the word, too. And a, and a lot of times uh, and I've been there myself as an actor where um, you, you want to do it all yourself or you're doing it all yourself because you want to save money. Uh, sometimes you're doing it all yourself because you want to save time. But um, that usually does not happen. Usually, you end up <laughs> oh, taking. Sorry. Two or three or four times longer than it might if you were doing it professionally. But the mm-hmm. biggest thing that you miss out on is two brains are better than one. I mean, it's a big reason why I love, I love sketch and I love improv uh, versus stand up, where stand up is very lone wolfy. But then you you get few brains in and you're riffing off each other, and they got a good idea for you, and you got a good idea for them, and you yeah. just you 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 get things that you wouldn't get working alone at home or sometimes people are doing it with um, a family member who's untrained and doesn't have a TV film or acting background or has uh, notes say that again or has notes or has, yeah. yeah, or has notes. And then you're like, am I getting an actor note or am I getting a husband note? Yeah, right well, now? that's right.
0: Right. Or, or yeah. just like, you know, uh, yeah. Um, you know, but you've nailed it. Collaboration. I, I, I I'm guessing you guys run out of time, but no, oh, I think collaboration yeah. is in, in, in all fields is really like where the good stuff comes from. You know, um, when I was younger, and I, I I don't know if this is a, a youth thing, I think it might've just been a like, <laughs> uh, personal development thing. But like, when I was younger, you know, I was so worried about being recognized for like my contribution to something that it, it would make me more of a lone wolf, you know? Um, I mean, improv, you can't really be a lone wolf, and that is that is really great. But, you know, I just think that whether you're writing or whether you're acting, and, and I've definitely worked on TV shows where writers are maybe loath to help each other because, you know, if I help you, that might cost me a chance, or, you know, and ditto with acting. And I get that mentality, but I, I do think that every time I've opened myself up to A, share the glory, share the credit, or open myself up to the idea that that maybe someone has an idea that's better than the one I have that will help me that will work in service of me like just i think like the more you can diminish your ego the better the results going to be like i think the right. ego monster just like fucking devours us all for 10 seconds of of like really fleeting gratification that something like this was all me huh. you know um as opposed to to yeah just just being open to whether it's collaboration or input or sharing or or you know, and also being open to like if you if you can help someone else too, just like do it. Like their success like if, if you're good, I think this is a David Cross quote or John Ennis also from Mr. Show, but like something of like there's room for everyone who's good. And and like maybe that timeline's not what we want it to be always and stuff, but like don't I I would never now withhold. If, if there's something I can do that's going to make someone else's script or performance better, like I want to tell them in the same way that I would want them to tell me. So I, it's right. just that it's being open. Nobody does it alone.
1: That's great advice. Yeah. Uh, Tom often says, uh, Your ego is not your amigo, and your ego will ruin every blessing in your life, too. So, yeah, oh, it does. It wants yeah. to kill us. Yeah, watch out for that ego. Uh, A couple final questions. First of all, Brandon, do you have any other uh, questions for Pat? Uh, Yeah, just going back to
2: uh, writers and future writers, uh, how do you deal with writer's block? What what kind of things or, or tips do you do to get out of a sticky situation?
0: I forget who said it, but I remember reading, it was this quote that stuck with me forever, that like, this writer talking about like, there it's not so much like that there's any such thing as writer's block so much as that it's just a lack of confidence in your own ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be right. Because whenever I feel stuck, it's usually like, you're like, well, what about this? And I'm like,
2: ah, it's not so
1: good. Yeah, you're judging it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And also, you know, I do think that like, there's some days where you got it and some days where you just don't, you know, and, and on the days where you just don't, I think you just got to use your skill set differently. You know, whether it's, And 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 sorry, Brandon. Maybe I'm not answering a question right, but like, like, maybe if you're talking about writer's block, like, to even get a project off the ground, you know what? I I I think it's like write when you're feeling stuck. Write something to completion, even if it's so bad. Like I would even say, especially if it's so bad, because I think it's like that same voice of doubt, and it could be the ego or whatever. But like, just like that thing of. I can't do it. Or what if I can't do it? Or what if I can't do it? It's like, it's just a paralyze you being afraid. So I think if you just like do it and like, what's the worst thing that happens it sucks. Right. But then like, nobody knows, nobody's going to like tell you, you can't do comedy anymore. And I guess maybe my last story for you guys would be like, maybe the best thing that ever happened to me in comedy and whether that's for writing or acting was that, as I told you, I loved comedy growing up and, uh, like late night with Conan O'Brien was like a really, really influential show for me. And I remember uh, in 1997, so I'm in grade 11, which in Quebec is the end of high school. Uh, I volunteered, I wanted to host the school's talent show. So I did and I had me and my buddies and I made it like a true ripoff of, of Conan O'Brien. Like I had like, my desk, I had a sidekick. We, you know, this was like early days of the internet. So I like, I, I cribbed a bunch of jokes, uh, Conan's jokes the night before because they were on NBC's website. We wrote a few bits, like a few "The More You Knows" and whatever, and we did like a variety show. We had our acts, and the show started with a full dining hall, and there was uh, 300 people in the dining in the, the lunch hall at my school. And by the end of the show, I had bombed so badly that there were only two people left in the audience, and it was my girlfriend at the time and her friend who was her ride. And the only reason she stayed that long was so that she could break up with me that night, and then keep partying. It was so humiliating. But the joy of that is, like, I've never eaten shit harder in my life on stage than that. But it's like, when you do that, when you fail, whether it's like a shit audition, a bad script, or whatever, like, you're fine afterwards. And you're not any less funny or talented. And it's just, I don't know, man. Sometimes I think you just gotta, like, clear the cobwebs to get rid of the writer's block. And that just means, like, you wrote it you won. You know what I mean? Like, even if it's the right. worst, most meandering story in the world, it's like, or or sketch or whatever. It's like, you wrote it. You started something and you finished it. And it's like, does not matter if it's good. You did it. And so you beat the writer's block because it's like, oh, you can't write. It's like, I can write. I didn't say be any fucking good, but I can do it. <laughs> and I kind of feel that way sometimes with auditions where like, sometimes I feel, and I think this was more in the like, self-tape days, like before I started working with you guys, where like maybe sometimes I just get too in my own head or like I can't get or, and, and then you just kind of hit yourself, say to myself, like, fuck it. Like, I'm just, I'm going to do a take. I'm going to just let it all out. And and like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I'm just not going to hear back. I'm not going to get it, but it's, mm-hmm. it's
1: great. I don't know. Um, getting back uh, to the writing advice too. I've heard someone say it like just all you're doing is writing a shitty first draft uh, and that's your goal is just, it's a, just, puke some shit on a page or someone else. I think it might've been, uh, what's the guy who wrote um, uh, news? Is it newsroom? Um, Fuck prolific writer. Yeah. Sorkin said uh, he, I think it might've been him. He was like in his rough draft, he's just piling sand into a sandbox that later he's going to make into a sand castle. But it's just, this is just the raw material in his first draft. Just throw it throw it there and then it becomes something later um is some advice that are really true part.
0: you know what yeah. it's almost like city planning like it's it's like if let's say you're building a city it's like when you're in the city you're so close to the buildings that you're making and all that really matters to start is like just get all the buildings and the roads in there and then it's almost like in the second pass you're you're almost looking at like a cartographer and it's like okay now I've got an overview of the city right. and it's like oh right mm-hmm. like the hospital should go here, and the houses should actually go here, and the parks go here. But it's like, just get it all out, and then afterwards, trust, trust a little uh, little machine you got up there will recognize where to make trims.
1: Love it. Love uh, final question is future aspirations. What is Patrick Dusso looking to do in his career moving forward? Short short term, long term. Um, what's next? What do you want to manifest? Starring
0: and writing in my own projects, both feature and episodic. I mean, the 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 the, the very simple answer is: I just want to be able to do make believe for my whole life. But if you're asked, if I get to make a wish, yeah, uh, yeah, to to write and star in my own comedy feature or uh, half hour comedy.
1: Beautiful, the yeah. Pat Bucio show.
0: And always to keep making sketch comedy, too. It's, it's yes. the love that will never go away. But those are different muscles. Yes. But that's that's what I want to manifest, right? And, and starting cool. my own feature.
1: Well, it is now out in the podcast world. So the universe um, will... Uh, and so it is. Yeah. is. I'm very
0: flattered that you've invited me to come talk to you guys. This was so nice. Um, yeah,
1: this has been great. And and a little you. birdie told me that uh, there's some whispers of... Potential sketch comedy collaborations between the three of us and, and the others I, here. So, yeah. I heard that too. Yeah, yeah. But let's talk more
0: about that uh, on, so, say, Friday.
1: Friday. Yeah. yeah. Friday I sounds know, like a like like good day.
0: Yeah, two yeah. o'clock?
1: Two o'clock, 2.30? 30 yeah. 2.30. In person or on Zoom?
0: Oh, definitely in person.
1: Okay. Sounds good. 2.30. That's, yeah. that's
0: where the snugs happen, guys. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank it's you. It's not Patrick. comedy without so, snugs exactly thank you for joining us today uh we love having you like we said in in actors audition mm-hmm. club we love your big positive energy and uh thanks for sharing all your pearls of wisdom too about your your writing career and your acting career i think this has been a great episode and tons of tons of info for anyone who is an actor or a writer um yeah it's just this has been great so looking well, forward thank to thank you more so much do. for having me both of you yeah. appreciate it great yeah so we'll see you Friday at two thirty here at uh, Laughing Vikings, if not sooner.
0: Unless I get an audition that I gotta cut faster.
1: Yeah, we'll see you then. Yeah, yep. great. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. This has been episode one fifty nine of Inside the Audition. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Look form. at the camera. Uh, what's that? <laughs> oh yeah, we're still on camera. Yeah.
0: Just look at the camera and say goodbye. I'm saying goodbye yeah. to you guys in your boxes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I guess I should look this way to make it real.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, walk down yeah, your stairs uh, out yeah. of frame. Yeah,
0: I once tried to do an audition as two characters, and I tried to split screen it. I didn't get that part.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much. Right. I will thank see you, you Friday or sooner. Yes, yeah. yes. Patrick, you everyone. Thank you for
0: having me.
2: Yeah.
1: All right, that's it, folks. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.